Hey, what up? It's Mark Carter. I'm the pastor of Fierce Church. Welcome to our podcast. I'm so pumped that you're able to join us today. I hope this encourages you, inspires you, strengthens you, gives you hope to keep pressing on. And it's my prayer that this sermon gives you a more expansive view of God's love for you. Enjoy the message. So I want to talk to you today. Sounds a little bit weird with this language, but coming out of the closet as a Christian. I want to talk to you about coming out of the closet as a Christian and why there should be a fearlessness for ignited disciples to do so. I know that it can be scary, but we're going to talk about how to resist that fear. A lot of times when I start a message, I'll give you a little bit of a song and dance of an intro to what we're going to talk about. I'm going to save the song and dance for later on in the message. Let's just jump right into the text and then we'll pull it apart. Matthew 10, 24, students are not greater than their teacher and slaves are not greater than their master. Students are to be like their teacher and slaves are to be like their master. Jesus is talking to his disciples about going out and and particularly what happens after he's crucified and rises from the dead. They're gonna have some jobs to do and they're going to experience as disciples, they're going to experience some antagonism. But let's just talk about disciple for a second. So I don't know if you ever like to watch, I like to watch like impressionists and I know there's not even many good ones, but one that's really good is Bill Hader. You ever, you ever seen Bill Hader do any impressions? Just, just Google it, man. Like it's, you'll, you'll have a good 10 minutes. It's, it's funny, but you know, he's got this Al Pacino impression. Okay. And so I'm not going to do it for you. You're going to really go find out, but, um, he, you know, he's paid so much attention. He's meticulously studied the mannerisms and the ways of Al Pacino so that if you just overheard it, you'd be like, is that Al Pacino talking in the next room? No, it's just Bill Hader. He has, in some ways, decided I'm going to mimic. I'm going to give everybody a a view of what Al Pacino is like. And that's what disciples do about Jesus Christ. We study him so specifically that we're like, I want to do a Jesus impression for the whole world. And I want everyone to be like, I don't, was that Jesus? I don't know. The way they just acted, the way they just did that. Aristotle was a disciple of Plato. Now, Aristotle took Plato's thoughts and he systemized them and he created academies. And then these academies really got into the Greek culture and and they became really smart people that got into the schools, that got into the law firms. And as he did this, even when Rome came in, which was the far greater military power, Rome, you guys know the story, some of you, Rome comes in, takes over, but even Rome recognizes, man, these, these guys are pretty doggone smart. In fact, Normally, we just kind of absorb everybody, but we want to keep their intellectual culture. And so the Romans are like, Greeks, y'all are smart. You can keep on teaching. And so into the new Roman culture that was now Greekified. You, you probably heard it called Hellenized, but it was Greekified. Okay, so now all the Greek culture is getting into the Roman culture. And when we decide to become a disciple of Jesus Christ, we're getting Jesusified. And we're taking his scriptures... And, and we're getting it into the culture of our new life. We come into church and we're getting Bibleified and Jesusified. That, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to hear the teaching of Scripture, but we're also supposed to be around other Christians so we can see what it's like. Oh, that's how it works. See, the, the culture of Plato's thinking through Aristotle and through the academy was so potent that it actually influenced a stronger culture. The potency of the teachings of Jesus Christ and God's word are way more potent than that. And God wants us not just to keep it on the inside. He wants it to work out into the culture because we're so Bible-fied. Somebody say Bible-fied. We're so Bible-fied that that's the only thing that can happen. 
Now, what we gotta understand though about, about discipleship, salvation is free, discipleship is costly. Salvation is free, okay? And this is the whole message, man. This is the whole message that the reformers rediscovered, okay? Salvation is 100% by grace. God wants us to obey his commands, but first he wants us to know that we can't obey his commands. And once we know that, he says, okay, now you're ready for me just to forgive you on sheer grace. I'm just going to erase all your sin. I'm gonna take the penalty on myself. I'm gonna forgive you. And now I'm gonna fill you with my spirit so you can begin to obey from a God-empowered heart. So it's, it's entirely free. There's nothing we have to do. We don't have to take any classes. We don't have to do any rituals. It's just free for everybody who trusts Jesus Christ. Now, the discipleship, though, that's a little different. That's going to take some sweat. That's going to take some work. It's not quite the same. And, and here's, here's what you can tell after a while if you're paying attention. People don't always progress the same in discipleship, okay, because it's, it's costly. So, you know, we might be in a race, and, and maybe you can, if you, you know, just keep a good jaunt, you can go one mile per hour. And if I really do my best, I'm going to go six miles an hour, okay? Maybe seven. What that means is after an hour, you went one mile, and after an hour, I went six or seven miles. Now, we had the same amount of time, and it might even be that I started later, but I was able to go further. It works the same way with our discipleship life. That's why you, you, maybe you've, you've been following Christ for 25 years, Okay? But you also, you know somebody who, man, they've been following Christ for five years, but they know more Bible than you. They hear from God with more regularity than you. There's something about, they've been Bibleified a whole lot more than you. Why? Because baby, they're pressing harder. They're going faster. It's more work. It's more sweat. But they're working at it. They're trying to progress fast. And so it's what we're saying is salvation doesn't, it's not just automatically, or, or salvation is, uh, you know what I'm saying. Discipleship doesn't happen automatically. It happens because we step on the gas or we, we start to huff and puff. We start to get going a little bit more. So we're in this series called Ignited Disciple and we're talking about what does it mean to be on fire and we're looking at Bible stories, particularly the stories of disciples in the Bible where God is trying to teach us about us. The Bible's about God, but he uses narratives in the Bible to teach us about us. And when he invites us to be disciples, he says, okay, first you're reading about the disciples, but then like we talked about last week, there's a sense of God says, okay, now come up into the movie screen. You've just been watching, now come up and get in because you're part of the story and you're one of the disciples. And to be ignited means you're on fire. And so those stories are, we talked about being a companion confidant of God. This weekend, we're talking about being a cross-bearing conqueror. Next week, we'll be talking about uh, or two weeks from now, we'll be talking about mentoring friends and then servants, ambassadors. All of these are stories that God is actually telling us about ourselves if we're going to be disciples. <clears throat> Why are some people so slow though? I really believe sometimes it's just not enough elbow grease, but other times they don't know some of the secrets of progress. And one of those secrets is in this passage that we're studying today. Now I'm gonna jump around in the passage, okay? because they're kind of like arranged a, a little bit topically out of order. So it's all one section, but we're going to take them out of order. Right in Matthew 10, 38, Jesus says this. He's talking to his disciples, training them how to be disciples. He says, if you refuse to take up your cross and follow me, you're not worthy of being mine. If you cling to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you will find it. Now, when he says, 
if you refuse to take up your cross. Okay, remember, when he says this, Jesus has not even gotten on the cross yet. So even though he hasn't been crucified, everybody who hears him knows what crucifixion is. Everybody knows, oh man, that's like the most painful way to die. That's the most humiliating, most of the time crucified naked. That's the most shameful way you can possibly die is to take up a cross. And so their understanding, what Jesus is saying is for you to progress spiritually, there's some kind of version of a death. There's something that we have to die to in order to live to God in a different way. And we, we know this instinctively. There, there's, and, and sometimes there's, there's ones that are kind of selfish, okay? So there's things we're clinging to about our life. Like, I, 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 this, this whole thing is about me. This is about self-actualizing me. Instead of saying, God's like, nah, I mean, you're, you're wonderful and all, but your whole life is actually about pointing to me. And only when you release that stuff about you and allow me to use you the way I made you to be, that's really when you're going to find your life. And in fact, if you get all this other stuff that you're after, but you don't have me, you're just gonna be a shell of what you were supposed to be. And you're gonna feel very empty on the inside. Other times though, it's unavoidable. There's trials that you're in and it's like, oh, this is so hard. Why do I have to be in this? And God is saying, I know it's hard. I'm with you. But if you let go, that's you picking up your cross. That's, that's you, like Jesus, humbly saying, yes, sir, I will take this. Do what you want. This is when I, when I was sick for four and a half years. This is what, that's what that was about. I couldn't do anything about it. I had no choice in that matter, but I did have a choice essentially to bow my head and say, be it done unto me according to your will, God. If this, is, if this is the direction you want to go, then this is the direction we're going. And as we embrace that cross, Jesus says, disciples, make no mistake, that's a shortcut. That is a way to amplify and magnify your spiritual life and progress faster. If you cling to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for me, you'll find it. And this is why it's kind of weird. We're these cross-bearing conquerors. On one level, it's already in the bag, man. You already win. Like if you're in Christ, all your problems are really in one sense solved because you're going to heaven eternally forever and you're gonna worship just like we just talked about. But at the same time, you've got to bear a cross often to see layers of victory in your life. So you're a cross-bearing conqueror. You're conquering, but it's through cross-bearing. Now here's one more secret that we need to recognize and that is we can't be surprised by antagonism. There is antagonism that comes along with being an ignited disciple. And everybody knows this, but it's really hard. So just don't believe any false promises that, oh yeah, this, this, you shouldn't really have anything hard about being a Christian. There shouldn't be anything uh, that you can't really deal with. You should kind of be smiles and, and hand clapping all day long. That's just how it should go, man. The rest of verse 25 says, and since I, the master of the household, have been called the prince of demons, the members of my household will, all, will be called by even worse names. If Jesus, think about this. People weren't being like hyperbolic when they said he's the prince of demons. Jesus was casting out demons and they were saying, you know, he's just empowered by Satan. That's how he does that. Remember, these, they actually think this, okay? They're not just trying to diss him. They're like, that's evil right there. That's, who, that's how that's empowered. That's where that is coming from. That is evil. And Jesus says, hey, dude, if they'll say that about me, they'll say it about you. I'm like, the guy, and you're my servants. If they'll say it about the guy, they'll say it about his servants. So just understand that antagonism is a part of how it goes. Most of you know, if you're listening later on, we are on the anniversary of 9-11. I remember 9-11. Anybody remember 9-11? Yeah, it was, it was a rough day. It was, it was 
everything was topsy-turvy. I remember being 23 years old and, and seeing again and again on the TV again and again these planes crashing into these towers and nobody had any clue what is going on. And one thing that we all knew was like, this is unprovoked. We didn't do anything to cause this. We weren't even in a fight with anybody that we knew about. This is just a war found us. Maybe a little bit like the Ukrainians last February. Like they weren't looking for a war, but a war found them. And spiritually speaking, my friends, it is the same way. I know you're not looking for a war, but it does not matter because a war has found you. A spiritual war against the enemy of your soul, it is coming after you, whether we like it or not. Antagonism is going to be a part of this. But now Jesus says, hey, don't worry about that. Don't sweat it. I got that. And by the way, that's actually one of the ways I advance my gospel is I bring difficulty and that's ultimately gonna serve my purposes. So let's just say, let's just all decide, we, we gotta get ready. We gotta know that we're living in a land that is hostile to our kind, if you are a Christ follower. And that's really, it's been that way since Jesus Christ himself. Becoming like Jesus more is going to provoke the same antagonism that Jesus experienced. And we just, dude, we just gotta get used to it. It's actually still pretty good here in America. It's far worse other places. And it's been far worse throughout history. But let's just not be surprised when, the world, when you look at your world right now and there's, there's times where people look at something good and they say, that is bad. And then they look at something bad and they say, that is good. What's wrong with you? Are you evil? Are you Satan that you don't see that that's good? That's exactly what the spiritual forces of darkness did to Jesus when he was here. And Jesus is saying, yeah, dude, like get over that. Don't, don't whine about it. Don't rant online about it. What did you think? I told you about this. This is how it's supposed to go. This actually means it's working on some level. You're, you're enough like Jesus that it looks like it. You sound enough like Jesus that it sounds like it. And there's a bit of antagonism coming against you. Now, here's what we gotta do, though. In addition to carrying a cross, part of carrying the cross is coming out of the closet. We gotta come out of the closet. Verse 27, what I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ear, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Jesus says, I just want everybody to know, most of the time, in most places throughout history, I'm not looking for secret agent disciples. I'm not looking for incognito folks, okay? He says, I want you to get up on the roof where you're more visible and where your voice can be amplified. I want people to know that you're my gal, that you're my guy. I don't want this to be a secret. And that looks different ways for different ones of us in different contexts, for sure. But what Jesus is saying is, he says, hey man, don't veil this. Don't like try to pretend you're not this. And for those of you who aren't Christ followers and you're like, I don't get what the big deal is, just so you know, this might not be instinctive to you, but often like when a Christ follower's at work or they're someplace with certain members of family, it's almost like they feel like they have to veil it because I don't know how people are gonna react to that. There's a lot of insecurity there. And Jesus already knew about that ahead of time. And he's saying, hey, don't let that insecurity overtake you. You go ahead and be real and be mine all the way, just how I called you out to be. And just so you know, I know that sometimes that's scary, but you never know how God's gonna work that toward you being in his will. Sometimes you're like, God, put me in your will. And he says, act like your mind and you'll actually just stumble into my will more often. Okay, so I don't do this all the time. Okay, this, this isn't like, this isn't, we, I'll pray in public at a restaurant. You know what I'm saying? We'll just bow our heads, we'll pray as a family. But it's real kind of like, it's, it's not trying to draw attention to itself. It's just because we are Christians and we want to give God the glory for whatever it is we're 
about to eat. Well, I started that when I first became a Christian, okay? So I'm a sophomore in college, and I was like, look, man, this is, this is the thing. I'm a Christian now. I'm Jesus's guy. I jack stuff up all the time, but I'm, not, I'm, I'm supposed to pray for this, so I'm going to. Well, as I start to pray for my food, unbeknownst to me, there was a young lady across the cafeteria named Mackenzie. And before that, she had thought I was kind of a, that guy's, he's nothing but a tough putz. Like he, he looks, he tries to look hard, but you know, he just seems like he's full of himself a little bit. Well, that, you know, then I came to know Christ. And so I'm, I'm praying. And as she sees this, she's like, stop the press. What is that? Hello there. What's going on with that guy? And she would tell you that is the first trigger of attraction that happened in her heart. What am I, what am I saying? I'm not saying you're going to get a spouse, young men and women, if you pray in public, but I'm not saying you won't, okay? <laughs> uh, but, but really, in seriousness, what was happening was, dude, I was just living, trying to be not an incognito disciple, and God says, I'm going to use that to push you right into my will for your life with this woman. Everyone who acknowledges, who acknowledges me publicly here on earth, I will also acknowledge before my Father in heaven. But everyone who denies me here on earth, I will also deny before my Father in heaven. Hey, Jesus is, is kind of throwing out a test. He's like, guys, look, part of my will for your life is that you're not ashamed to be mine. Okay, now, now that's gonna look different. Sometimes in, in different places, you're, you're gonna need a lot of courage and sometimes you're not gonna need a lot of courage. Sometimes you're gonna have to apply a lot of wisdom. How do I honor this situation and not like make it about me and yet also not try to veil anything and communicate something that is not totally true? I don't agree with all these things. I'm not, I'm not comfortable with some of the stuff that is happening in this environment. How, how do I do that? And, and does that change depending where I am? Jesus wants us to be able to say, as we're getting to know people, as you're new on the work team, my friends, even though you might feel a little bit insecure, hey, you know, I know that it's kind of funny to make fun of Christians and whatever, and you might assume, like, you know, I'm just like, this crazy nationalist or something like that. I don't know what you're going to assume. I, if you want to know the real me, I'm, yeah, like, Jesus is a big deal to me. And, like, I, you know, I, when I go, what did I do this weekend? I went to church, and we, like, had this dope sermon by this really cool pastor. And it was really helpful to my life because God's word is helpful to my life. And like, that's how that works. And, and part of what God is doing, when we do that, there's a couple things happening. One is we're learning, learning to be authentic. We're learning to be like, how do I navigate just being me? You know, Jesus was entirely himself. And we're just learning to be entirely ourselves before people. We're learning probably how to honor different ones in different ways because, you know, you can be real crass. You can, I've gotten this wrong a lot. You're trying to like live out loud, but you're also, you're just, you're rubbing people the wrong way because you're not careful, you're not wise. But it might also be that God's trying to break us a little bit of needing the applause and the praise of people. Okay, so that means I'm not like, I'm not aiming at disrespecting anybody. In fact, according to God's word, I'm, I'm aiming at demonstrating gentleness. I'm aiming at always giving an answer for the hope that I have, but with gentleness and respect. Um, we're always doing that, but there's also in our hearts, there's this sense of like, hey man, I wish you liked me, but I don't care. I don't care. Like, I hope you fall in love with Jesus, but I don't need your approval for me to worship my God and serve him. Like, who are you? You're dust like me. I don't need you to think anything about it. I'm gonna go ahead and just do what I was made to do and get some thick skin. You see how God does that? Sometimes we need to grow some thick skin. And so he puts us in a kind of a, an environment where it's a little bit sandpapery, 
but that's in order to like just get us a little bit, yeah, well, you know, you, you, you kind of care about what people think too much anyway. Like that's a real distraction for you. It's always getting in your way. Don't imagine that I came to bring peace to the earth. I came not to bring peace, but a sword. This is a weird thing for Jesus to say a little bit, but you gotta understand he's being metaphorical with this sword idea. <clears throat> what he's saying is, Hey guys, I, I am the Prince of Peace and I will come, first I come to your hearts and bring peace. Someday I actually will return and bring entire peace to the world. But right now, it's almost like there's a sword because people will have such dramatic reactions to me. They're gonna be like, oh man, Jesus is the best thing. Or people are gonna be like, nope. That, that tries to push my sin into the light too much. I ain't having any of that. And people will react violently against Christ's followers. And sometimes that will even happen in our own families. And it can be hard. And Jesus, I just want to warn you. Now, I've got purposes in that too, but you've got to understand. He says, verse 35, I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Your enemies will be riding your own household. Now, obviously, hopefully, we don't mean literal enemies, but this sense of like, I feel like I have to walk on eggshells around them sometimes. I feel like, and, and here's what's happening sometimes. It's not really that they're against you. They're not even necessarily aware of it but something in them is reacting to the Christ in you. Sometimes it's just because we're still immature and kind of a bozo and we're doing things that are weird and creepy. But also, sometimes it's just, no, dude, their, their spirit doesn't like the Jesus thing that is in you because maybe it challenges them. And Jesus says, I just need you to understand that's how it, it's going to be, and it's not wrong that that happens. You're not necessarily doing something wrong. In fact, you might be doing something right. Now, again, don't be a jerk about it, or th there's a whole different set of lessons. Don't walk around like you got a chip on your shoulder, but I need you to be able to have the freedom to be you. In bearing the cross, you will conquer. In bearing the cross of, yeah, I, I'm a, a cross of insecurity, a cross of a little bit of fear, a cross of I don't know how they're going to respond to that or what they're going to think. And it'd be cool if I just had like five, here's ways to be instantly winsome with everybody. And I know that, you know, there's lists like that on the internet. I get that, dude, and do that if you can. But you're not gonna get away from this. Like Jesus wrote this on purpose because we were going to need, he's like, I don't want you to just try to trick people. I don't want you to handle people in such a way that you kind of like minimize who and what you are. I want you to just be mine. And bearing a cross, you'll conquer. So, because we got all this fear of rejection, with the last half of this sermon, I wanna give you three ways that you can face fear if you reflect on these things. Okay, here's number one. The Father's long-term commitment to truth can drive out fear. The Father's long-term commitment to truth can drive out fear. Verse 26, but don't be afraid of those who threaten you. First, <laughs> you might get threatened, okay? For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all this secret will be made known to all. You know how the enemy works. He works in secret. He works with divisiveness. He works to suggest and to slander. He wants to paint you in all the wrong ways. And you've probably been painted in the wrong ways before. People have said things about you. And it's like, dude, that wasn't really true. And he's tried to tell people, well, you know, their motives, they're just, they just have bad motives, so stay away from he's, He tries to tell people things that aren't true about you. And yet, Jesus says, hey, man, don't worry about that, because the day's going to come when the Father's going to unveil everything. Proverbs 12, 19, truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. I love that verse. 
Hey, you feel like somebody's lying about you? You feel like somebody's, you know, they, they got it in for you and they're telling other people how bad you are? Here's, here's a word from God for all of us. Truthful words stand the test of time, but lies are soon exposed. See, God, he kind of like stands guard over the truth. He's like, ah, it looks that way for now. But I'm gonna bring the truth up here before long. So some of you may know that when the Titanic sank, okay, let's jump way back in time a while, 1912, when the Titanic sank, there was some controversy about, okay, well, a few people said that that ship split in half before it went down. But most of the others said it didn't split in half. And many said they had no idea. And of course, you can imagine the shock of the Titanic sinking, okay, if you're there, it's probably hard to pay attention to every little detail of what's happening where and when. And yet it was a mystery for 70 years because the Titanic was gone, it was lost to us. But then in 1985, it was found. And they went down there and they took pictures and it definitely split in two because there's two different chunks. It took 70 years, but the truth was finally unveiled. Yep, this is what happened. I'm not saying that God has purposes in telling us where all the shipwrecks in the world are. What I'm saying is God knows where all the hidden stuff is and he knows what the truth is. He knows where it is and it, he's not necessarily gonna tell us when he's gonna bubble that to the top, but he knows when and he knows where. All we have to do is trust God will bring that to light at the right time. That's a word for somebody. Hey, I know that people have been saying bad stuff about you. God will bring the truth to light at the right time. We gotta trust him. God knows where all the things are. He doesn't forget. 70 years later, 100, 1,200 years later, God knows where everything is. And he knows the right time to defend you. And this is what Jesus is saying. He says, so, so, so don't worry that some people aren't gonna like you. They're gonna say bad things about you. Hey, you just, you just trust me. I know the when and I know the where. Come on, somebody. So the father's long-term commitment to truth can drive out fear. The father's ultimate justice and power can drive out fear. Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Hell can be a tough topic these days. It's definitely fallen out of vogue. And yet Jesus says, as hard as this might be for some to imagine, especially in 2022, hell is a really important, really necessary thing. So in 2015, a youth pastor from New Spring Church in South Carolina moved with his pregnant wife to Indiana. Within the first year, burglars had broken into their house and murdered her. Can you imagine? Being a young couple, and hey, we're gonna go like, do something great for God. We're gonna move away from our family, from our home. And in the first year of you trying to follow a gospel call, your spouse is, your pregnant spouse is murdered? That sounds like, how can we ever get justice for that? See, here's the problem with, with our time right now. Everybody's gotten rid of God. But when they got rid of God, they forgot that they got rid of an answer to injustice, a real answer. And that's why everyone's so mad all the time because they're like, injustice here, injustice there, injustice there. Oh, look, here's some more injustice. Now you go back in time and here's some more injustice. And who, whoever did anything about that? And then you go back in time more and who, whoever did anything about that? Not to mention, they can't even really keep track of all the things that happened there. They can't even keep track of the stuff that's happening here. But because they got rid of an ultimate judge, they're like, well, we have to do something about it. And I'm just pissed that it's happening. And God says, I know where all the ships are. I know what has to be answered for. I know what has to be done. And yes, God's hope is that everybody comes to salvation by grace through faith in Christ. Okay, but what about 
the murderers of that young mom? What about the taskmasters who enforced awful laws pro-slavery? What about the people that whipped their servants? And I don't just mean in America. I mean around the world, throughout history. What about the young children that were raped? What about all the evil that nobody ever saw and nobody ever did anything about? My friend, that's why there must be a hell. Somebody has to answer that. And God has always said, I will answer that. Oh yeah, I promise. I know where all the stuff is. I know what everybody did. And there's a real hell because injustice must be answered because God is a just God. There's a book called 23 Minutes in Hell. I'm reading it with the staff right now. I would encourage you to pick it up from the library or check it out online. It's really good. Now, it's somebody's testimony of a supernatural experience where the Lord temporarily for 23 minutes brought them into experiencing like, like a vision that you're sensing and feeling. You feel like you're there. And as he went into hell, he was horrified with the things that he saw. It's way worse than he could have ever imagined. He remembers his body being ripped apart again and again by demons. I'm not trying to freak you out, but this, this is the kind of thing the Bible says about hell. So even though we don't stake, here at Fierce, we never stake our ground on anything other than God's word. But when somebody has a testimony that matches God's word, we're saying, well, I don't know if it's true, but it sure sounds like what the Bible says. And so he talks about, man, this, this heat was like hundreds of degrees. Your body could never, ever survive it. It was so dark and yet you could still hear everybody screaming and yet you were always alone because there's no fellowship. There's no light of love or any kind of nurture or mercy or anything. He writes this in his book, do you have a body in hell? I certainly did. My body appeared the same as the one I have now, except there was no blood or water in it. Life exists in the blood and water represents life. I was able to endure suffering that would have caused death to my current physical body immediately. Other than that, it felt like a normal body and all my faculties seemed to work. I could think, reason, and remember my emotions were still there. And although my strength was almost non-existent, my physical senses were acute. I could see, hear, touch, smell, and taste. Then he goes on to say, it's frustrating to hear someone say, I don't believe in that Bible stuff. There's a God. He would never send someone to such a horrible place. Well, he doesn't. He doesn't want anyone to go there ever. He gave his life so that we might live. And of course, what he means is ultimately people send themselves to hell. Like, yes, that is the consequence. But my friends, that's a good consequence. It's a right consequence. It would fix a little bit of what's wrong in our world right now if people believed in a sovereign judge who really was going to answer everything everybody did wrong. And you don't have to necessarily go looking and, and come to wrong conclusions. God is omnipotent and he will handle it. And I know that might create a tension for you. I don't think it's a good tension. I don't want anyone to go to hell. But I also want someone to answer for the crimes that have been committed. You know? Like, I don't want that. I'm not the judge. I don't, I don't know. I'm not good enough to even know what to do. And by the way, I deserve to be in hell. But there's something in me as a spirit-produced being that says, God is right. Hell is a real thing on purpose. So it's okay to have attention about that. There's a sermon online. If you guys are watching, they'll put the link in the chat um, that we did on hell. So if you want to talk more about that, there's a sermon I did a couple years ago. Go check that out. It's called The Bad Place. So if you just search YouTube, First Church, Bad Place, it's, we talk a little bit more in depth about that. But another reason this idea of hell can actually be good is because it can create compassion. So when I first came to know the Lord, there was this guy, I don't know if you've ever had a person in your life that was so difficult to deal with, like you're probably not like this, but I was really, you know, barely saved. And so 
every time I saw this guy, I just wanted to just, just punch him in the face, man. Like I just, that's how I felt because that's how much he got under my skin, okay? But I began to realize, hey, I bet you Jesus could give me a supernatural love for this guy though. And so I asked, I said, Jesus, would you just, just cause me to love him? And he was the same guy. And yet there was something birthed in my heart that was just like, I don't know, I just love the guy. He doesn't bother me anymore. But part of my prayer was increased because I, in loving him, I said, and I don't want him to go to hell. I don't want him to. I like him. And I'm gonna pray more now. I'm gonna step on the gas because I don't like the idea of this guy missing the grace of God. So even the doctrine of hell can sometimes create compassion. Somebody say, thank God for God's word. Aren't you glad we have God's corrective word to come on in into the middle of our generation and be like, okay, some of the stuff you guys got is good and some of it is just whack. There's always a, a plumb line to correct ourselves with in every generation. And we've got our own and people had different ones in different generations, but thank God for his word. Here's the third one. So the father's long-term commitment to truth can drive up fear. The father's ultimate justice and power can drive up fear. And the father's value of you can drive up fear. Verse 29, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin, but not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You're more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Sometimes we, we get into this erroneous thinking, God's only into the big stuff. Like I don't manage the big stuff in my life. But you know, that's not what the scripture teaches. It teaches that he's into the little stuff. He's into the detail stuff. Dude, those sparrows, they're, less, they're worth less than a penny. Like that's what the poorest of the poor ate. And yet God was like, I'm paying attention to that. God's paying attention to you when you have a tummy ache. He knows when you're tired. He knows when you feel hurt and lonely. He knows when somebody just really, really, really mistreated you for the sake of the gospel. He knows and he's aware and he loves us. And, and sometimes, it's, you know, being, being, being Christ is like being a soldier. And sometimes it's fierce and it's hard and it's severe. And we're like, what the heck was that? And God says, soldier, I know, I know it's hard, but I love you and I'm with you. And this isn't forever. I saw that. My love can make up for that. So years ago, this is at the very beginning when we started the church, we had, we had this couple that we really loved and we really invested in my wife and I, and, and we just spent a lot of time with them and, and you know, just discipled them and just pouring into them. And then one day it was like, there was just this 180, like there was just this flip and they were very accusatory and they're like, your motives are way off and your preaching sucks. And I didn't say quite like that, but that's essentially what they're saying. And like, you're a horrible Bible teacher. Like, you're, you're off, man. We got to get away from you. And there was something in my heart that was like, oh, so broken. I remember going home, going, going into my room and just lying on the bed and be like, oh, like just your guts are just spilling out because you genuinely love these people and they're just, they're essentially saying, you're the, you're the prince of demons. And this doesn't happen much. One time, it's happened in 26 years. I felt the Holy Spirit, it was supernatural, I could feel it. It was like he poured in this liquid golden love that was overwhelming. I felt it like warming my body and it was echoing really loud in my ears. I love you, I love you, I love you. And I just wonder if that's what God is saying to some right here, right now. Somebody hurt you and it really sucked. And it might've been one of the most painful things you've ever experienced at all. And maybe you could hear him say, if, if, if I know what the, sparrows are doing. 
I know that hurt and I love you. Don't receive their rejection. Don't you receive it. Don't get your value from them. Get your value from me. I love you. I'm aware of everything that's going on. And one day I will make this up for you. I will comfort you in a way that you almost forget that ever even happened because your heart is so full of love. So I'm sorry if you're in a time where you don't really understand what God's doing right now. You know, and, and you're trying to figure this out and, and we just have to let that go. So I don't know why God let me get hurt like that. Just let it go. God, I know that you love me though. Job didn't know what God was doing the whole, the whole time. He never knew what God was doing. And yet God was in it because God is sovereign and God is providential. Providential, remember what that means? It means he's using both the good and the weird and bad stuff for your good while it's happening that later on you're gonna be like, holy cow, that was God. I never saw it coming, but that was God. So growing through opposition it's hard. This is one of the hardest parts. This is the hardest message in this series, just so you know, because it is hard. But it is through a cross that your God conquered. And it's through these crosses that you will conquer. Let's bow our heads. God, thank you that you don't call us to a life of timidity, but a life of love and power and self-discipline. God, we pray that in, in ways that make sense in our personality and in our particular context, you'd help us to not be obnoxious, but just to be people that are simply Jesus's and aren't trying to apologize for it and even are aware they will inherit antagonism because of it. Thank you that your love is always for us. Thank you that your justice in power is not really opposable in any real sense at all. And thank you that your truth no matter what happened or where it happened or how wrong it was, you know where all the ships are at and you know when it's time to raise them. God, help us to live as ignited disciples who are cross-bearing conquerors. In Christ's name. Hey, thank you so much for joining us today. If you don't have a home church and you're looking for a Bible-preaching community that has its heart set on passionately knowing Jesus and being His witness in our generation, check out Fierce.Church. We'd love for you to join us either digitally or in person. Also, if you're looking for leadership development-related content, don't forget to check out the Fierce Leadership Podcast, available wherever you get your podcast from. Special thanks to those of you who give generously to support this ministry. It's because of you that this is possible. You can click on the link in the description to give now or visit fierce.church for more information. If you enjoyed this podcast, why not subscribe, share it with your friends, click on the share button, take a screenshot, and share it on social media or wherever you would share such things. Whatever challenges you're facing, I know you can make it. Don't give up. Hang on to Jesus. He won't let go of you. Jesus loves you so much, and we love you. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Thanks again for listening.